Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. Let's get into this series that we are starting on favour. And I'm going to say this to you again. I say it so often that, you know, whenever I feel like God puts the topic there and we plan these out, etc. It's not a vote, but we feel like it's a revelation of what God wants to say to us. But I know in my mind when it's favour, I think, well, I'm probably going to talk about this and I'm probably going to say this. It's probably going to end up there and it almost never ends up where I think it's going to end up. And so I want to pray that God will speak to your heart tonight. In the short time we have, and it's really only short, it's not hours and hours, but I pray that you will lean in and that your heart will be open, your notebook or your, you know, forget about Instagram, they can all wait, they'll still be there later. Uh, Just make some notes of it, let God speak to you, uh, because I believe that He wants to build you. I believe every single service, that's why we don't preach the same thing at night as in the morning, because we really want you to be able to pick out of all of them, listen to the ones in the morning again, if you weren't here for that, uh, whichever service. We believe God wants you to grow in your life. Amen. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these beautiful people. Thank you for your word that's got enough power in it to transform any life. Father, I pray that over all of us, there will be a spirit of revelation. Let the lights go on for us as we hear your word and your voice to us. God, only what you reveal actually gets absorbed. And so we need that in our life. No matter how long we've been following you, whether we're new or whether we've been on the journey a long while, open our ears to hear, our mind to understand, our heart to receive in Jesus' name. We give you all the praise, all the glory. It's not about our cleverness. It's about your wisdom to our life in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read to you the same verses that I read this morning. Uh, in the first session on favour and what God's favour looks like for our life. And if you want a title for tonight, it's called Why Me? Why Me? Uh, This is Genesis 39, verse 20 to 22. So just three verses. And uh, you all know the story. Obviously, it's become quite famous even with Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat, the musical and all the rest of that. This is verse 20 of Genesis 39. It says, then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph. I could spend all night and probably the next several months on that one phrase. But the Lord was with Joseph. Some people think the only time God is with you is when you are doing well when your life is somehow or other going in a fabulous direction, where you're serving God in an amazing way. But this guy's had every influence in his life taken away. His family influence has been taken from him. The influence that he had in Potiphar's house has been taken away. Now he's back to ground zero, and yet God was with him in that place. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favour. I want you all to hear that again. God gave him favour. Favour is not something you earn. Favour is not something that somehow or other you grow into and you somehow or other get it all worked out. But favour is something that God gives 
into your life, gave him favour in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. We sang this song a bit earlier because I asked the team to sing it. We sang it last Sunday on, on a Monday. And both the services, how deep the Father's love. I don't know about you, but I found the words of it incredibly moving uh, and resonating with us that somehow or other in the midst of all this, it says, you know, I don't know why I should benefit from His reward. I don't know why it should be that somehow or other I ought to get the benefit of this. But this I know with all my heart, His wounds became my ransom. And that I didn't deserve it and I couldn't earn it. I couldn't manufacture it, but God did it for my life. And so when I read this passage here about Joseph, I ask myself the question, why him? I don't know about you, but I ask, what is it about your life or mine that can become the kind of life that attracts or releases or draws? Or why does Joseph get given the favour of God? I don't believe that God is random. I don't believe that somehow or other God is capricious. And that word simply means that, you know, He favours one above another or that he, he, you know, somehow or other He likes you, but He doesn't like others. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. And that means He loves every kind of person in the world, regardless of their background, regardless of their past, regardless of how good or how bad they've been. Every single one of those people. But there's got to be something about my life because if God's not random, then why does the favour light on some and not light on another? And so I want to talk about the things and there's a bunch of them here that I think if you read the story and and think through the story a bit, you'll actually get to understand that there were some bedrock things in Joseph's life that caused the favour of God to want to be around him. You know, just the same way as I love everybody, but there's some people I want to be around. Aren't you the same? Aren't there some people that enjoy their company? I want to be the kind of person that the Holy Spirit enjoys the company of. Can I say it like that? I'm not perfect. None of us are. But I want to be the kind of person that the Holy Spirit wants to be with because I I know I could live the rest of my life with all the best intentions and I can never deserve it enough. But I can become the kind of person who the Holy Spirit finds it easy to work with. I can become the kind of person who the favour of God finds it easy to flow through. So let me give you these things and you'll want to write down some notes to think through some of these things here for you. Number one, the first thing that Joseph, uh, the thing in his life that drew the favour of God is this. He didn't live in loss. He didn't live in loss. Now, you know, we're all going to experience it. Everybody here in this place is going to have some things that you value and that you love that are going to leave your life. It may be somebody that you cared about and loss is going to come that happens every single day. It may be a job that you were hoping for. or It might be some kind of a relationship other than a loved one. It might be something that you were really wanting. It may be, a I don't know, something or other, but we're all going to experience loss In lots of areas. Maybe it's a health thing. Maybe you used to be able to do this and now you go, I can't do that anymore. 
I used to have that strength or that power. Maybe it's your finances. You've suffered a reversal. Psychologists, and Dr. Robbie's coming next week so you can check it with him. But I've read numbers of studies where they say this, that the impact of a loss emotionally is three times the impact of an equivalent gain. In other words, if you suffer a loss financially, let's pick anything. Let's say you lost 10 grand. It would take $30,000 to give you the same lift over the same amount of time as the loss that you've experienced. It's a strange thing, but somehow or other, for many of us, loss becomes something that kind of sticks with us. It's hard just to get rid of. Can I be this honest with you? In my life, I'd love to tell you that, you know, there's been joy after joy after joy, but it hasn't been. Sometimes those things can take a long while to work through. I know people that have never got beyond their loss. To this day, that loss of a loved one or the loss of a job or the loss of of something that mattered to them has so impacted them, they can't literally move past it. Think about this with me a minute because you won't know this. The story doesn't say it, but it's because it doesn't say it that I know it to be so. The symbol of Joseph's favour at home was the coat of many colours that he got from his dad. It was the symbol of favour over his life. And his brothers, when they decide to, well, at first they're going to kill him, then they sell him into slavery and they take that that coat and they dip it in the blood of a, I think it was a goat or a sheep, and they take it back to dad as proof that Joseph's died. And he says, look, a wild animal must have taken him. Look, here's his jacket. You know he would never let that go. You know that jacket was so important. He wouldn't have left it behind. You know that it matters so much. And the brothers took that from him as proof of his supposed death. And yet here's the deal. Joseph never, ever mentions the coat ever again. There's not one reference to it right throughout the rest of Joseph's life. He never goes, yeah, but. When his brothers get in front of him and he begins to quiz them, not even knowing if the father is alive, do you know what? He never mentions the jacket. He never says, by the way, that thing that meant so much. Haven't you got something like that? You know, something you've lost and you go looking for? I'm a bit kind of, a bit, well, I was going to say manic, but that's probably not a great term, but I'm a bit obsessive about things getting lost. I'm going to find those things. I once lost a pen out of my diary. I decided to walk home from the place where my car was being serviced. On the way back, I lost it. Well, it was, I think I worked it out. I think it was six kilometres from there to home. And because I lost it and I knew I had lost it there, I walked all the way back. And this was in summer, by the way. I couldn't find it. I decided I'll walk all the way back. It had to be there. So I walked 18 kilometres, eventually found my pen in one of the expansion joints of the sidewalk of the footpath. I don't know about you. I don't like losing things. I'm going to go look for stuff. I'm going to go and try and find it. And so this guy losing something that meant this much, and yet he never mentions it ever again. He never says to Pharaoh's tailors that, you know, when he finally has the power and the resources to get one like it made, he never says, by the way, this is what it looked like and these were the colours, go make me another jacket. 
He's got the power to create another one, but He doesn't do it. He never has a replacement made. Listen to me tonight. He let go of His old jacket because a new one was waiting for Him. Read about it in Genesis chapter 41, verse 14. It says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. He lost something, but he never looked for it back again. He looked for what was meant to come. Let me say this to you. Our attitude to loss always determines what comes next. Our attitude to loss. You are going to experience loss in your life. But listen, your attitude attitude to it determines what comes next. Determines whether I get something better and greater. This is not just some kind of nice thing to say. It's not a cliche. There's a reality to this. Abraham, who finally gets the son of promise, Isaac. And then he hears God saying, give him to me. Sacrifice him. And I know some people get hung up on all of that story and go, well, what kind of God would ask you to do that? Well, it's the kind of God who never let him do it, quite frankly. So don't kind of get too strung out on it. But I love the spirit of Abraham when Isaac says to him, because Isaac's 13 or around about that age. He's not a baby. He could get off. He could say, no, you've got to be kidding me. He can go, Isaac is just as much a part of this whole promise as Abraham is. And when he gets to that point, this is out of Genesis 22, if you want to read it later. Um, he says this, when he says, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Dad, I know we're coming up here to sacrifice. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham looks at his son and says, God himself will provide a lamb. I don't think those words are any accident. I think this guy is declaring something about the lamb that is to come, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I think that's a part of the whole story and what's in there. But the spirit of Abraham says, you know what? If I suffer loss, it's only because something better and something greater is going to come my way. Your attitude and mine, please hear me. I'm not saying you're just kind of, it's easy. Oh man, that you know, I've struggled over some things that I've lost in terms of, people or whatever that may have mattered to me. And over the years, and I, I can tell you stories about things that took me a long while, only because I, I had my focus on what I lost, not on what was coming. He didn't live in loss. He didn't stay in that place. Have you lost something? You know, maybe just it's, Influence, it can be all kinds of stuff. Have you lost something and is that what's so occupying all your attention? Or are you able to say, God, something great is coming my way. Something's greater is coming my way. Have you lost a relationship that matters so much? There's something greater coming my way. You go, how can that be possible? I don't know, but only God can do it. Here's the second thing. He didn't live in blame. He didn't live in loss, but he didn't live in blame. He got wronged, not once. Twice, three times, he could have blamed his brothers. He could have blamed the father who didn't intervene. He could have blamed Potiphar's wife. He could have blamed Potiphar for not even bothering to discover whether his wife was true. You can't be married to someone like that and not have some idea. Hello? 
He doesn't blame the king's cupbearer when he's forgotten for a couple of years. Is there somebody you are holding responsible for your feelings, for your circumstances, for your problems? Is there somebody that you go, it's their fault, I am where I am? Some people, it's God and they blame God for where they are. He's a person. Your attitude to what's unfair in life determines who comes next. Your attitude to loss determines what comes next. But listen to me, your attitude to what's unfair determines who comes next in your life. Because I know that if Joseph had have been bitter against his brothers, he's never going to Potiphar's house. I know that if he's bitter about Potiphar, he's never going to succeed in the jail. I know that if he's bitter about uh, about what's happened in his life. He's never going to discover the two men that one of whom holds the key to his future, the king's cupbearer. Listen to me. Your attitude to loss determines what comes next. Your attitude to what's unfair and you're going to get it and so am I. Your attitude to what's unfair in your life determines who comes next. Determines whether you can see the person God wants. Listen to me. God has got so many people. He can bring them out of nowhere to be a blessing to your life. He can bring them out of nowhere. The person you need. But you know, as long as we're stuck in, she did it. Listen, I've seen people do this for years. I, I knew a man who, who well, uh, I'm not sure how much I can tell you. But anyway, uh, let's just say he got himself arrested at one stage for kind of losing his cool and public transport. And when they asked him what it was about, when I asked him, when I found out about it, I said, what on earth were you thinking? He starts telling me about his wife. And I go, but hello, how long ago did you divorce? He said, 25 years ago. So for 25 years, he's been blaming somebody and never discovering who God wanted to bring next in his life. It's quiet here tonight. Your attitude to what's unfair determines who comes next into your world. James talks about the root of bitterness that springs up and thereby many get defiled. You know, when you get defiled, it muddies everything. The word defiled there doesn't mean to become unclean. It means to become unclear. It's like if you got a drop of ink and dropped it in this glass of water, you know, all of a sudden what's clear and transparent, all of a sudden you can't see through it anymore. And that's what happens to people when a root of bitterness springs up. Listen to me tonight, I'm not preaching as though somehow or other I've done all this perfectly and I've got it all worked out. No, there are some things I'm probably going to work on for the rest of my days. But I just determined that I'm not going to allow loss and what's happened in my life to stop what comes next. I'm determined I'm not going to let blame determine who comes next. Amen. Here's the third one. He didn't live in disappointment. He got let down. He got forsaken. He got forgotten. And it would be so easy for that script to become his narrative for why he can't succeed. I used to be good. I used to have a great life. At one point, everything looked so good. I had the coat of many colours. I was, had the dream that God gave. I thought everything was going to work out fantastically well. Ah, yeah, but you know what? Stuff happens, don't it? Things go wrong and, well, I don't know, maybe I'm just 
cursed. Maybe I've just got something wrong. Maybe I've met people like this. I've met people that have said to me, I don't know what the problem is, but obviously there's something deeply wrong with me because stuff keeps on happening in my life. And he just refuses to live in disappointment and let that become the script. Luke 9 verse 62, Jesus said, no man putting his hand to the plough and looking back is fit for the kingdom. Doesn't mean he doesn't want you in it. Just means you stop being useful. That's the word fit there means to be useful. Your attitude to disappointment determines how you handle what comes next. Your attitude to loss determines what comes next. Your attitude to blame determines who comes next. But your attitude to disappointment determines how you handle what comes next. You remember the story, some of you will, of Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, who comes to Jesus. He said, my daughter, she's 12. She lies at home sick. And near the point of death, will you come and heal her? And this is Mark 5. And Jesus said, yeah, I'll come. And on the way, the woman with the issue of blood interrupts everything and, and time is ticking away until finally a servant from Jairus' house come and says, why trouble the master any further? Your daughter is dead. And that, that becomes the thing. And right there, listen to me, right there at that moment that could have been defining disappointment, right at that moment that could have been the thing that that interrupted it all, Jesus turns to the man and says, be not afraid, only believe. Why then? Why not just keep going? You're the Son of God, you can do anything. Why does it matter whether this guy understands it? But I'm telling you, your attitude to disappointment determines how you handle what comes next in your life. This guy understands this. It determines what comes next. What comes next? He didn't live in loss because loss affects what comes next. He didn't live in blame because that's who comes next. He didn't live in disappointment because that's how I cope with what comes next. And again, let me, I'm being honest with you here. Heck, is there a person in the building that has never experienced disappointment? Like profound disappointment? The job, you really go, wow, that's going to be it. That's going to be amazing. The person that you thought, they're it. Turned out they weren't it. They were a myth. Or whatever. Mister. Here's the fourth thing. There's only five. Fourth thing is he carried success with humility. I mentioned it this morning as one of the things in Joseph's life. He carried success with humility. Why does this matter? Because I don't think God's going to give success to people for whom it's only going to become destructive. Psalm 75 verse 4 says this. It says, Promotion comes neither from the east nor from the west, but from the Lord. For He puts, listen, He puts up and He puts down. Most people I know love the He puts up bit. But can I have to listen to me? There's going to be some times in your life where He is going to put down. And if he puts down, listen to me, if he puts down, I have been the golden-haired boy who could do no wrong and I've been the guy that no one wanted to be with. And I tell you, both of those things were great spaces because if you only uh, want to just go up all the time, how do you cope with, with things that are difficult in your life? He acted in the opposite spirit to what everybody else would have done. Anybody else would have had the brothers there. 
He could have had them executed. Nobody would have cared. He's an Egyptian. He's married an Egyptian wife. Nobody would have cared at all about this whole thing. But he just could have gone, but he doesn't do that. And I find that my rise in life is always connected to how I treat uh, success in my life. Does success become the platform, listen to me, does success become the platform for blessing others or does success become the platform for celebrating me? Do I let success become, wow, did you see who I am? Did you see what I'm good at? You know, aren't we all just a little bit tired of wonderful celebrities and sports stars and singers and everybody else who get to the top and it's only about moi. And how great is the fall of it? Don't allow a spirit of entitlement. I deserve this. Doesn't matter how long you've been doing what you're doing or how long you've been leading where you're leading. He carried success with humility. Here's the last one, fifth one here. He lived with a greater sense of purpose. He lived with greater purpose in his life. I don't think that he one day when he got to the top went, wow, I have a dream, I have a purpose. I believe he lived with it every single day of his life. I think the encounter he had with God, I think about what it takes for someone to wrestle to see favour come into their life. Jacob is a cheat. His name means supplanter. It means someone who takes what's actually not belonging to them. And that was the story, the narrative of all of his life. You may be here tonight and the whole of your life is a narrative of running from God, of not letting God have lordship and leadership of your life. Maybe that's the narrative. Then you will identify with this guy because this guy says, you know, my life has been a screw up for there to there to there, everything about his life was about advancing Jacob, about making Jacob's life better, about making Jacob's life easier, about getting stuff for Jacob until you get all the way down into Genesis where he has a wrestling with the angel of God. And he gets to the place where he steps in and wrestles with the angel in Genesis chapter 32. He wrestled with God that night long and he comes out of it a different man. I said this morning, favour is not the key to an easy life. Favour is the key to a great life, regardless of how easy it is. Let me say to you again tonight, is there something in your life that go, you know what? I can remember saying to, to God, I said it out loud when my, Leyland P76 broke down going up the mountain range. This is a long while ago. Obviously, you can tell because it was my 18-month-old firstborn the back because there was no air conditioning and she's vomiting from the heat and from the long journey and all the rest of it. You know, right at that point when everything was going all silly and everything's just going difficult, I remember, see, you've either going to press into God or you're just going to live in disappointment. You're going to settle for what there is. I remember standing by the side of that mountain range, saying out loud, God, I will find your blessing or I will die trying. 
And I'd love to tell you that that prayer moved the hand of God so much that the next day everything was beautiful. But I wasn't. But I told God I was going to find His blessing. I remember staying up late at night. Everyone else has gone to bed. I'm just going to stay up and I'm going to pray because I'm going to press in. I prayed for half an hour. I thought half an hour would really impress God. I thought God would have to be just overcome that I would spend that long. Like, hello, I am super saint here. I'm like Mother Teresa. Oh, I'm having, I've got it. But you know, nothing happened. Next day I got up, same old car, same old me, same old income, same old everything. But the next night I did it again. And 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 the seventh night I did it again. And the eighth night I did it again. I'm not going to count you through all of them. There were 60 days of every night. 60 days of every night. This is where a whole bunch of people start going, oh my God, that sounds way too hard. What you mean I might actually have to pursue God? I want God, I want to sit in a lounge chair and have the Lord interrupt my television show. Not too much, but just, you know, in the ads. But, you know, something or other happened at the end of two months where I went, I knew that 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 I had it. And you know what? I waited then. I thought, well, the next day I'm pro- someone's gonna, something great's going to happen, but nothing happened. I went, whoa. A month later, a man who I had never spoken to, who was in our church back there, came up to me and said, you know, I want to bless you. I feel like God's put it on my heart. I thought he was one of the most unspiritual people I knew of. There was nothing. He was never at the church prayer meetings. He never lifted his hands in worship. He just turned up. And this guy said, I want to do something for you. And I'm going, what would that be? He said, I'm going to get you one of our, he worked for a major finance company. And he got the, one of the staff cars when they came off lease. And he personally arranged for me to get it. It was the best car I'd ever owned. I'd been used to own absolute lemon bombs, heaps, whatever term you come from. I'm used to that. And this guy comes and gives it. And, uh, you know, I know that my life changed, not just because a car came, but I know something changed in my life because all of a sudden it was like I knew favour was on me no matter what happened. You can live in loss. You can live in blame. You can live in disappointment. You can get success when it comes, go, it's all about me. Or else you can decide I'm going to live with a greater purpose in my life, greater than the circumstances that are coming my way. Remember that Joseph at no point knows, as I said this morning, he doesn't have clarity that God is really doing something powerful and he's going to be Prime Minister of Egypt. But he lives every day doing his best. He lives every day saying, I know it looks like there's no point. I know it looks like I should just quit. I know it looks like like Job's wife saying, curse God and die. Like that would help. Job's wife, curse God and die. You're better off dead. He goes, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to honour God. He ends up with, you know, several times more than what he had. Genesis 45 verse 5, he says, Therefore don't be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you. What a life it is to say God sent me here. I've got one more verse I want to read to you because I think it's, 
a powerful verse. Because I know that the greater part of you is not the externals. It's not about what's going on around about you. It's what's going on inside you. It's Proverbs 18 verse 14. It says a man's spirit can sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear. In other words, you can go through anything if your internal world is right. But if your internal world's out of whack, you're not going to be able to go very far. You and I need to have a strong internal world, a world that's got hope in God, a world, internal world that's free of bitterness and blame, free of disappointment. Amen. A world that says, God has got something great coming my way. His favour's on my life. Things might look terrible now, but with God's favour in my life, something great is going to come my way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, bow your head with me a moment. Team are going to come. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your grace above everything else. Lord, we sang about what You have done for us, Your death. Your wounds become our ransom. We couldn't have organised that. There's nothing we can do to make it any greater. There's nothing we could take from it to make it any smaller. It's just something wonderful from You. And God, I pray that no one in this place will feel like favour from God is something they've got to earn. They're trying harder to get you to like them. They're doing things because they hope you'll notice. But God, your favour is on us because we belong to you. We're your children, so favour is just on your family. We thank you for that, Lord. Father, I pray that people in this place who maybe have allowed loss or blame or disappointment or maybe let success go to their head or lived without purpose. I pray, God, that each one of us will find your joy and your peace, your wisdom and your vision, the internal things that help us go on. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Just while heads are bowed, eyes are closed, I don't know you all. Maybe you're here tonight and you go, Jeff, I... You know, I don't know Jesus. You might know church, you might know religion, and religion and Jesus aren't the same. The people who opposed Jesus the most were incredibly religious. They had all the rules and all the regulations, but none of the life. And that's why you find Jesus always talking about life. You know, he that believes on me, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water, he says, life. That's why 1 John says, whoever has the Son of God has life. Doesn't say he's got religion. <laughs> religion, um, I'm not saying it's all bad, but gee, it's not what you need. What you and I need is life on the inside. We need a Saviour that can forgive our sin. We need a Saviour that can make us whole from the inside out. I don't need a Jesus in heaven. I don't need a Jesus in a statue. I need a Jesus who comes into my life. Because quite frankly, that's where my life is. It's lived from inside. That's why the Bible says to as many as received Him, to the people who got Him on the inside, those are the ones. And so if you're here tonight and you go, Jeff, I don't know Jesus like that, but I'd like to ask Him into my life. I'd love to pray with you right where you are. I won't embarrass you. Not about that. I want to help you. If you don't have a Bible, we'll give you one. We want to help you journey with Christ. Is there anybody like that just wherever you are and you say, Pastor, would you pray with me? 
right where I am. I won't embarrass you, as I said. I'm just going to pray with you right where you are. If that's you, just slip your head up so I can see it. I'd love the opportunity to help you say yes to Jesus in your life. Is there anybody like that? Just quickly, wherever you are. If you just lift it up, I'll see it and I'll pray with you and believe God with you tonight. Thank you. Anybody else, just wherever you are, you say, that's me. Thank you, I see you. Anybody else? Thank you, I see you. Anyone else, just wherever you are, say, that's me. I want Jesus in my life. Say, oh, what's it going to cost me? That's a hard question to answer. Right now, it'll cost you a yes. The rest of your journey, your journey with Christ. And I know that He'll challenge you. I'm not saying He won't. He absolutely will. But He won't challenge you to make your life smaller. He'll challenge you in order to make your life greater. Is there anybody else before I pray? Say, that's me. Then we're going to pray together. And I'd love it if everyone here would just say this simple prayer. It won't take long. It's a prayer that asks Jesus to come into your life. And I know lots of you here go, I've already done it. I go, great. Then why don't you say it to encourage the other people that are around about you right now have lifted their hands. Would you say this after me? Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me because I matter to you. I need you in my life and I'm asking you to come and live in me. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You don't need to pray this, but let me pray it for you. Father, thank you for those people who from their heart have said, Jesus, I want you. And Lord, only you know how much transformation needs to take place. Only you know what the coming of Jesus into their life is going to mean. The transformation, the total renovation of their life that will take place in you. I thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can all look this way. Let me just say to you that uh, if you don't have a Bible, please go out to the Connect Connect Hub. Fall, just come quickly up here. This is Fall, or my Fall Fall, Morley Paula. Now that I've got to pronounce his name properly, I like to say it a lot. This guy here uh, is on staff of the church and he's here to help people and uh, care for people, pastor people. And so one of those areas that he does that is by helping people who are starting a journey with Jesus. And uh, starting a journey with Jesus is like any other relationship, isn't it, Fall? Yes, you kind of don't know it all. But if you keep on going, you get to know them and love them and discover how much they love you. And uh, so I'd love you to go and talk to Fowler, or one of the team out in the Connect Hub. That's not the only thing to go to the Connect Hub for, but that's one of the reasons. Again, if you don't have a Bible, we'll give you one. I'd love you to have one. Uh, I think the Bible, God's Word, is just so important that we get to read it. And you might be like me. I first started reading the Bible. I'm going, oh, these and thou's were way too hard. So I started with uh, Living Bible, I think it was called. You know, and people sometimes say to me, what Bible should I read? I go, the one you can understand. That's the one. Read that one. It'll be good for you. And uh, that'll be great. So go and see file. Here's the other thing you can do. Yes, text. Text yes through to 488 People do this literally every single week. It's not even like on Sundays. People do it Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, whatever day. All hours of the day and night. I don't know how it works. I think someone's sitting up late one night and goes, I remember what that guy said. And I really think I need Jesus. And what was the number again? I've seen people take a photo of that screen from the seat and go somewhere during the week. I remember asking Bruce, did a yes text come in that week? Yep. 
what time was it? 2 a.m. I go, okay, there's someone who took the photo. Or get one of the cards out there. They look like this. Grab one of those, take it back with you. It's got the Yestex number and it's got the website uh, as the alternative. You don't need to do both, just do one. And uh, we would love to send you a scripture and a prayer that you can pray that will help you start getting to know God for your life in Jesus' name. I want us to sing. I know I said uh, how deep the Father's love, but I actually, we don't coordinate our messages and our songs. Some churches might, we don't. I trust all these guys that they can hear from God the same as I can. And you sang the song, I come to the altar, and I don't ever remember, I've sung it scores of times, I never remember that it's got the phrase in there, leave behind your mistakes and regrets. And when I heard you sing that tonight, I thought that's what we need to sing as we come towards the end of the service here. I'm going to ask if you are here tonight and you go, Jeff, I've had a loss in my life. I can't seem to get past it. Why don't you come, our team, our pastors and our, our core leaders, they're going to be out here ready to pray with you. There'll be someone who'll stand with you and pray with you. They're not going to counsel you. That can happen another time if you want. They're just going to pray and say, God, would you help set this person free? There's loss in their life. Maybe there's blame. Maybe there's somebody and whatever it was they did still lives inside you as though it's yesterday that it happened. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe it's disappointment, stuff that never worked out and you just, again, can't seem to get past it. Why don't you let someone pray? Let someone stand with you. 